Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, hello there, everyone. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. Welcome to another great interview. I have the pleasure of interviewing, interviewing, interviewing Jeff Hall. Yes, this is my fourth interview today. Pardon my, my loose tongue there. Jeff has just an amazing story, and I, I literally can't wait to dive in. Let me give you his uh, background, and then we'll, we'll hit it. Jeff Hall never had a choice but to become an entrepreneur. At the age of seven, he sold candy because money meant escaping his life of poverty and neglect. At the age of 13, he acquired a reputation as a computer nerd at school quite by accident and began working on his school's computers. At 15, he began his first company, Overflow Cafe, in order to keep from being evicted from his home. And at 17... He was lying about his age to get the commercial lease for his first office. Remarkably, he is still helping new and small business owners become popular online. The name of his business is Overflow Cafe. And 23 years later, he's got another four startups under his belt. Jeff, I am, I am so uh, – I'm honored to interview you, sir. Thank you very much for having me on, Jim. So – you know, at um, certainly at seven, most kids are, are thinking about, I don't know what, baseball or, or <laughs> doing anything but working. And, and even at 15 and 17, you know, I think so many, so many kids, the last thing in the world they're thinking about is starting a business, you know, maybe having a part-time job to get some gas money for the car <laughs> or whatever. But yeah. you really had um, quite a background. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we were, uh, my parents weren't great with money. Um, they were both employed, uh, but they were heavy spenders uh, in the gambling and alcohol uh, industry. So um, there was never really any money left over for uh, bills, and there certainly wasn't any money left over for me. Um, so, you know, when it came time for school trips or school supplies, um, that was just a no-go. And so, um, you know, I was always, I'd be in school, uh, I wouldn't even have a sheet of paper. Uh, I don't know if you remember grade school, you always brought your own paper and a binder and pencils yes. and pens. I would always be the kid that was borrowing, you know, hey, can I borrow a pencil? Can I borrow one sheet of paper every single day? Because we didn't have money. We had money, but it was always misspent. And so I got so frustrated um, living like that, that uh, I remember when I was seven, um, I would just walk around picking up pennies and, and nickels and just loose change that people had thrown away. And I went to a candy store, or not a candy store, a convenience store that sold candy. And I bought some candy um, and I just started selling the candy at school. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have a pricing format. It was just sell it for more than what I bought it for. And uh, kids love candy. And the other kids had money and they would bring money and they'd buy, they'd buy up all the candy. And every day I'd go back and buy more candy. I kept making more and more and more money and just squirreling it away. And 
I would uh, forge my, my mom's signature at age seven and go on school trips. Oh my and gosh. I had spending money and, uh, and I, uh, you know, I'd have spending money and go on, I'd go on all these day trips, Niagara Falls and, and all these different places and, and just have a, a reasonably good time. Uh, so that was the upside to that. I was really enjoying having, you know, when you go from having no money to having some money, it's, it's addictive, you know, and uh, the, there was a downside that they found out that I was earning money and they started confiscating uh, all the money. And so they were demanding more and more money. And so as I got progressively older, they wanted more, uh, you know, by the time I was 10, I was bringing in a couple hundred dollars a month doing several different kinds of things. I was selling candy door to door, selling candy at school. I was buying products and reselling them. I had several uh, newspaper routes. I'd, I'd actually lied about my age even just to get the newspaper routes because I wasn't old enough uh, for that. I was bringing tons of money. I was making car payments. I was making the, uh, the monthly car payments, monthly phone payments and, and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, I was still managing to squirrel away a little bit of money here and there, uh, and help my family out as, as much as possible. And so how did you get into computers? Um, did you have some computer, did you have access to a computer at home or was that mostly through school? Yeah, no, I had no access to, uh, to computer. Um, my friend Tony back in grade eight, um, my friend Tony got a computer and he lived just a couple doors down and he was a, his family was well off. They were really good with money. And so they got him a computer. They had, they had actually had several, two or three computers. So they got him a computer for his room. And, you know, he says, Hey Jeff, come on over and, and try this out. We played some, some video games. It was an old 386 uh, computer. And that was the only computer I'd ever touched. But when I was in grade eight, I would make fun of him in class because he was all into computers, but, you know, playing video games and stuff. And I'd make fun of him all the time. And I had this teacher, really great teacher, Mr. Morris, who overheard me uh, making fun of him and got the idea in his head that I was somehow great with computers because I was always talking about it. So one day, uh, one of the computers, one of the main computers in the school uh, broke down. And uh, Mr. Morris says, hey, Jeff, you know, you know all about computers. If you could go fix that computer, I'll let you off this assignment. You're still going to get your grade. Um, but we just, you know, the school has this budget crunch. We can't afford to, you know, bring a technician in every time these computers break. I said, sure, sure, I'll go fix it. I had no idea what I was doing, fixing a computer. That was ridiculous. But I went there and I played around with that computer. And I fixed it by some miracle or magic or whatever. I fixed that computer. And the school was so happy with me that for the rest of the year, they just let me fix every time a computer broke. I fixed a computer and I was getting school credits for fixing computers. Now, I had the only thing I'd ever done was played video games on Tony's computer. And, that, and I didn't even do that often. And so I was forced to then go to the library and read books on computers and and learn about computers even though I didn't even own one. Wow. So Jeff at 17 um you you signed a commercial lease. Did your parents not know about that? Did you keep that a secret? They didn't know um but it's not even that they didn't know. They didn't even really care. Um I was bringing in a lot of money 
uh, by that stage because I had started Overflow Cafe when I was 15, 38 now, um, and I was bringing in more than enough money. So they were living good. Uh, they were living good. They were they were comfortable, and I was fairly comfortable as well. Um, aside from them burning all my money away. Yeah. Um, but when I was, uh, you know, it was a it was a home based business. So we were in. We started off, you know, just sort of in my my bedroom, and then I took over the a room in the basement. Then I took over the entire basement, and then I realized that a lot of the clients they didn't want to come over. Yeah, back then clients came over. Now we don't have any clients coming over, but um, uh, everything's done online. But back then clients would come over. They didn't want to do that. And it was ridiculous. They'd come over and they'd see this kid, you know, and uh, pimples all over my face and stuff like that. It was totally ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, let me try to get an office and look more professional. I could charge more and I could get a lot more, a lot more customers. I approached this real estate agent who at first thought that, you know, it was ridiculous, but then said, you know what? I mean, let's just lie and say that you're 18. And I said, okay, but you know, I'm 17. She says, no, no, no. And she's winking at me. She says, you're 18. I said, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 18. And she got me the lease. She wants a commission, right? So she's yeah, she wanted you. that commission. Yeah. She wanted that commission. We got that office space. We stayed there for years until we outgrew it. It was fantastic. And, and we made you know, uh, friends with all the neighboring businesses and, and, uh, we did business with a lot of them and it was just, it was, uh, it was a really wild ride at the beginning. It was, it was a lot of fun, uh, despite the challenges. So Jeff, did you, I mean, did you maintain good grades? Did you graduate high school? No, no, I didn't. Uh, so what, what happened was at age 15, um, before I had started overflow cafe, I was, I was bringing in, a lot of money. I mean, it was, you know, north of a thousand dollars a month uh -huh. before overflow cafe doing various things. I had my own snow shoveling business and oh, I, ha I did so many different biz small businesses and I worked traditional jobs as well. Uh, I worked at the flea market in a restaurant and I worked construction and, and stuff along those lines. My parents came to me and they said, look, we spent all the money. We're going to be evicted. We need several thousand dollars and we need it fast. So that's when I started Overflow Cafe because we needed a huge sum of money. Um, and I couldn't sustain both. I couldn't sustain both uh, my grades. And I was getting reasonable grades. They were, you know, they were about average. I'm, I was really good at science. Um, and so I was getting great grades at that. And then uh, my grades started tanking because I had customers I come home for, uh, you know, for lunch, I have to deal with all these customers. And I come home from school, I have to deal with all these customers. I said, well, I can't do homework and bring in money. And I told my parents this, well, you know, guess what they preferred, the money. And so I said, okay, well, you know what? I don't want to do homework either. And I prefer the money too. So um, uh, age 15, I dropped out of high school. Okay. Um, I, I went back uh, to do my, uh, here in Canada, we call it a GED. It's an equivalency exam. Uh, it's an exam that takes place over two days. So I, I did that. So I have a sort of the equivalency of a, uh, of a high school diploma. Um, they didn't mind. Uh, they knew that I dropped out. I was bringing in so much money at the time that they were living it up. And so it, it really didn't matter to them at that time. 
I don't recommend that to anybody. I mean, I wish that I uh, would have completed high school. I liked high school. I had a good high school, I had great teachers. Um, it was just unfortunate life circumstances where uh, I, we needed money and, and I was able to earn it. Jeff, when you were, so when you started Overflow Cafe, was it mostly uh, computer repair at the time? Yeah. And how did, okay, well, how did you branch into the SEO and, and the rest of it? Yeah, so uh, that happened really fast. Um, so I was doing computer repair, and uh, I met this kung fu instructor uh, in a suburb of Toronto in Mississauga. And he says, Jeff, um, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with my computer. I have a website, and I need students because he had he had gone ahead and uh, leased a huge facility for his school. And, uh, you know, it didn't lead to lots of students. And so he says, look, I've got this website. It was one page. It was just, you know, like a newspaper advertisement. It was a very simplistic website back in, you know, 1995 or whatever. And um, I said, look, what I'll do is I'll figure out how to get a bunch of people looking at your website. And then I, I don't know if they're going to sign up for Kung Fu lessons, but that'll be the goal. I'll just get a bunch of people, you know, looking at your website. And so a couple months later, he calls me up on the phone. He says, Jeff, I signed on a certain number of students. I don't remember the number, but it was big enough where he got so excited about it that he wanted to pay me a commission um, for all the students that I was bringing in. And that's where the real money started pouring in. And, you know, instead of me traveling all over the place and, having clients coming uh, to my home, it was just a really easy thing for me to do. And I, and I, and I liked it. I was good at it. So he recommended me to another business person, another one, another one. And I started putting up flyers all over the place and approaching businesses and saying, Hey, look at my references. I can, you know, I could probably do this for you, do that for you. I'll build you a nice little website and, uh, and then I'll get a, get you a bunch of customers. And most of the time it worked out. It didn't work out every time, but it worked out most of the time. And, uh, and that's how Overflow Cafe got into that. And eventually we dropped the website design and we, you know, now we only focus on, uh, on SEO and uh, making websites popular. So what does the company look like today? Are, I, I don't know if you're still in that same place or you've moved up or, or what does is, what is Overflow Cafe look like today compared to, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, so... Um, well, we're a small company. We've got 17 people. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got about 40, uh, sort of north of 42,000 clients. Uh, we've switched out the fees now, so it's not variable. It's just a flat fee. And um, for the most part, it's software as a service. So we've automated um, most of what we do. And then the only part that's not automated is customer service. And so... Um, uh, so it's a very simple, straightforward service. It's meant just for beginners. So whereas before we serviced, uh, you know, medium-sized companies, now we're, we're only focused on small businesses. So entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, mom and pop type shops. Why did you make that leap, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, it was more enjoyable for me. Um, I really enjoy the system that we have now where 
clients sign up and we take them through a process versus a medium-sized corporation. Uh, typically, they have, you know, 100 employees. And although they have a larger budget, it's just a lot more headache uh, for me. And I didn't find that I was able to scale uh, the business the way that I wanted to. And so um, when I looked at who are the customers that I really enjoy working with, it was just the it was just the solopreneur. It was the entrepreneur who you know has just they've set up their website, they have a a couple products or they have a service. I love people who sell services. Um, it just it, it was great because I just felt like they appreciated. Uh, the results a lot more than a medium-sized company that has a board of directors and, you know, we were reporting to a board and making presentations and, and things like that. Nobody really cared. Right. There was no thanks at, at the end of the day, you know, there was no thanks. Hey, look, we took you from page 30 uh, to page one. There was really no gratefulness. It was like, okay, well, that's what we paid you to do versus the small business owner. They really appreciate it because we've, given them uh, hopefully some financial freedom and we've helped them achieve a goal that they couldn't otherwise have achieved. Which is exposure um, to prospective clients, right? I mean, that's yeah, big when you're, exactly. when you're a beginner, that's huge. Yep, absolutely. What's the deal with white hat and black hat SEO? I mean, I'm familiar with black hat and I guess I, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it always seems like it's a little, maybe not quite above boards. I don't know. Is it like secretive stuff or what, what, what's the difference there? Yeah, black hat is when you do something to manipulate search engines. Okay. And a lot of people still do that. White hat is just when you follow the search engines guidelines and you do things the right way, the honest way. Um, and so black hat, uh, I'll give you an example. People will, people still do this to this day. Um, they'll, they'll have a white background on their website and they'll use white text and they'll just stuff a bunch of keywords. And so you can't see it with your eye, but the search engines see it and it's meant to manipulate what this, how the search engines rank you. And so search engines will, I mean, it might give you a temporary boost, but they're going to catch on very quickly and they're going to ban you. And so there are a lot of SEO firms out there that are still doing that. And they're still stuffing people's websites, you know, and the business owner, sometimes they don't even know what's going on. People come to us and they say, you know, I was with this company and we did great for like six months and now I can't find myself at all. Uh-oh. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll run a scan on their website and we'll say, well, yeah, look what's happened here. Look, look what they've done. And they'll say, the business owner will say, wow, we didn't even know that that's what happened. And so, you know, you need to follow Google publishes a, a webmaster guidelines and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff to read, but then we read it and we make sure that our clients are in line and that they're in compliance with what Google wants and what Yahoo wants and what Bing wants. And so you never get in trouble. It's slower results, but it's permanent results. So, you know, people like me, 
Jeff, I think I get that. I'm, well, I'm 60, so I'm a different generation, you know, work hard and, you know, worker be always played by the rules, so to speak. But I think yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of the people today, especially if you're starting out, there's just such a, I want it now. <laughs> Can you get yeah. me on page one tomorrow? Well, I got that. Oh, just yeah. go ahead and do that. And then like you say, they, Google catches up with you and they slaps you back to 2000 spot, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And since you're always since, as you said a few minutes ago, Jeff, your your typical client is a newer entrepreneur. Do you, is that something that you deal with all the time? Like you have to kind of set oh, yes. expectations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have clients who we tell everybody before you sign up, just read through our website, read the frequently asked questions page, have realistic expectations. And we still have people who, you know, not, it's not a huge percentage, but we have people who sign up and we had, we still laugh about these clients who, you know, we had one guy six hours later, he says, you know, I've been a, a customer for six hours and I don't <laughs> see myself in Google. I'm not on one yet. <laughs> yeah. And we're laughing. We're thinking, are we being, is this a prank? Because who can, you know, nobody could do that. Six hours is ridiculous. And they're thinking that it's magic. You know, we, we see people who, they, they really have ridiculous expectations. They want to earn $500,000 of, of profit within the first couple months. Yeah. And because somebody, somebody told them that that was possible. And, and, and I try to tell them, look, you're not going to enjoy our service if that's the case. Because we can't do that for you. And we're going to tell you very plainly, we can't do that for you. And I don't think anybody can. I mean, there, yeah, I'm sure there's that one in a million. Um, but, you know, chances are you're not that one in a million. Let's talk about so, some of the metrics um, for SEO. I'd love, I, I, always, I always ask uh, SEO people this, and you know, there's a whole spectrum of answers. But how often should someone be blogging? I've heard everything from blog once or three times a week to blog once a month, but make it a very long blog and every, you know, everything in between. What do you think, yeah. Jeff? I, I'll tell you, I have some experience with this. So it really depends on the kind of business or the kind of organization that you are. Uh, we don't even update our blog anymore. We used to update it monthly. We don't even, we don't even update it. And you know what? Our traffic has increased. Wow. Now, I got to tell you, I've never, I haven't heard that answer before, so this is yeah, new. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, blogs aren't necessary for every single kind of business. There are plenty of businesses out there that don't have a blog, and they're making a lot of money. So you really have to determine if you even need a blog in the first place. Now, if you have a blog, it'd be great to blog and Typically, Google will rank if you've got an article that's 2,000 words or more, they'll favor that over a shorter article. You know, if it's, if it's um, unique information that's not available anywhere else, you're probably going to be number one for whatever that blog title is. Wow. Um, now, if you can't do 2,000 words, if it's going to be 500 words, it's got to be really, really high quality. Okay. Like it, it's got to be citation quality work. It's got to be uh, really high-end stuff that can't be found anywhere else because Google likes long content. And if you look at 
if you Google a phrase and click on the, the first three listings, typically those, those top ranking pages are 2,000 words or more if you do a word count on those, on those pages. Mm. So, it, you know, you don't necessarily need a blog. Now, I've seen, a, you know, if you're a church and, you, you know, typically a church will service a local area, a city or, or even just a portion of a city. Well, we'll say, you know what, if you have a blog and you write articles about your city, then you're going to gain a lot of traffic and church-related traffic. Typically, it takes about two years or 200 really high-quality posts, and that church will outrank the 250 other churches that are in the same city. It'll show up number one because wow. of that blog. Now, that strategy, if you sell cell phone cases, don't even bother with the blog because nobody on planet Earth is looking up blogs for cell phone cases. They just want a cute cell phone case for a reasonable price, you know, unless it's a teenager and they're willing to spend $75 on a, on a, on a cell phone case. Right. Um, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the blog, the blog isn't necessary, but I would say start with the pages that already exist. If you have a website and you have an about me page or an about us page, if you will put some time, a couple of hours into that page and update that page regularly, you'll actually see a boost in traffic. You will. Your homepage is, is extremely valuable real estate. Spend a lot of time on that. You know, uh, have a frequently asked questions page. Have a contact us page. Stuff like that will give you a huge boost versus just having a blog. If you have a blog, you really want to be giving away valuable information that can't be found anywhere else. If you have a, if you have a frequently asked questions page and let's say your business doesn't change that often. So it, you know, six months or a year from now that page hasn't changed. Is that still going to work for you or should you go in there and, and change it frequently? So yeah, Google always, sees it. Yeah. I always recommend doing a, a frequent update. You know, monthly is really, really good. And, um, uh, you know, once you start letting your pages get too stale, you're taking a risk. Gotcha. Um, man, the clock is really going fast today for some reason. Um, I got time for one more question. How do you work with your new customers to help, help convert visitors into customers? Yeah. So that, that part is something that we don't do right away because we start with a really great audit. Um, and so the audit typically keeps our clients busy for several months. And the audit really gets their, their, their brain focused on their customers, on their potential customers, and optimizing their website with the customer in mind. Um, and so once we get to, usually it's around step I would say step four or even step five, they're bringing in lots of visitors, you know, and they're ranking really well. We ask them to get feedback from their paying customers. What were you typing into search engines when you landed on our website? And why did you buy from us instead of buying from our competitor? And that is probably the best because 
you know, there's a lot of software tools out there that claim to help you convert your visitors into customers. And, and, you know, there is value there, but there's a lot more value in talking to your actual customers. Why did you buy from me? Why did you do business with me as opposed to somebody else? And let your customer tell you and, you know, that'll give you all the insight you need to scale your business properly where you can increase your conversion rates. And we've actually seen conversion rates go from 1% all the way to 12%. I think we, we have one client who has like an 18% uh, conversion rate, which is just, I mean, it's unheard of. Really? Well, you clearly know your stuff. And then again, you've been at it for since you were seven. (laughs) So you have one heck of a a work ethic, Jeff. How can people uh, connect with you and and learn more from you about your services? Yeah, yeah. go to overflowcafe.com. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see my social media links. Check out my Kickstarter profile. Uh, Our company has supported over 250 Kickstarter projects. And uh, we love supporting small businesses and small business ideas. And uh, I don't know, maybe you'll, uh, if you have a website, give us a shot. It's awesome. Jeff, thanks so much for being my guest today. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Jeff Hall. What an amazing story. So go check him out at um, overflowcafe.com and um, get connected with him on social media. Um, if, you are not, if you and I are not connected yet on my Facebook group, Build Your Dream Business Now, you can fix that at dreambizgroup.com, dreambizgroup.com. We're also coming up in a matter of weeks on my next Dream Business Academy, which is in San Diego, September 26th, 27th, 28th, dreambusinessacademy.com, dreambusinessacademy.com. That is it. Until next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free dream business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.